The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By Ziptility, the only app utility crews need to find, fix, and manage infrastructure assets from the field. By Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. And by Xylem, let's solve water. This is session 178. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. And as always, I hope this podcast finds you safe and healthy amidst the public health crisis we're in. Well, today, guess what? We're lucky to bring you another awesome guest. Today, Kim Baker, the Director of Water Innovation at Elemental Accelerator, comes on to explain the exciting work that she's doing over at Elemental Accelerator. And you're going to love Kim's enthusiasm and her knack for communicating her ideas and the work she's doing in a very digestible format. She's really impressive. You're going to love this. Uh, But first, a little housekeeping is normal. Uh, First, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, Ziptility, Intera, and Xylem. And I'd like you to do me a favor, if you could, please. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor's firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the water industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you access the podcast on. That'd be greatly appreciated and helps others find out about the podcast. Now it's time for our feature interview with Kim Baker. Get ready for a terrific interview, and let's get that water flowing. Well, Kim, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could come on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, For those who don't know you already, um, could you give us a little about your background and how you came to the water sector? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Well, uh, friends of mine have in the past called me the MacGyver of of all things related to water. Uh, I pull from a lot of tools and experiences, which allows me ultimately to work through what we see with our startup companies and our portfolio and how they engage with the greater sector and and partnerships. And so the two key things that are always top of mind when people ask me this question are experiences that, that date back to my formal education, which is in engineering. Um, I went on a semester at sea as an undergrad where we traveled on a ship around the world to about 12 different countries, and I truly saw firsthand how water is valued differently and the lack of water in countries around the world. And then when I came home from that trip, I led an undergrad team of Engineers Without Borders, if you're familiar with that program. Mm -hmm. We went to Nigeria, Africa and built a rope and washer pump that was actually powered by a camel, of all things. And we did that really hand-in-hand with the community. And so I think those two key opportunities and key experiences have kind of woven that thread through my whole career, which always comes back to water. 
so I mentioned my formal training is in engineering, and I took a um, kind of expected route through to environmental consultant, consulting early in my career. And then I completed my MBA in sustainable management, which led me to start a truly early stage water company, both focused on industrial water desalination, and then went to work with a growth stage company, uh, which was ultimately, ultimately acquired, and that was focused on drinking water disinfection. And then I found myself here at Elemental Accelerator as the Director of Water Innovation. Awesome. Well, uh, what is the Elemental Accelerator? I mean, uh, could, could you kind of tell us a little about its mission and what it does? Yes, definitely. Um, it's an amazing place. We're uniquely positioned in the market for a number of reasons. Um, we are a nonprofit, and we are what we call a growth stage climate tech accelerator. And every year, we work with up to 20 companies in the clean tech space, um, and we actually deploy up to a million dollars in each of those companies. Okay, and, and so th- it's, it's bigger than water, uh, bigger than water, right? But you're in the, just the, the water area of Elemental Accelerator. What are kind of the promising companies and technologies and things like that that you're seeing come up through, through the program? that we work with because what we do is look to address things kind of at a systems level and we definitely understand how all of the sectors that we work within when talking about climate change and climate technology um, that are directly linked. And so those sectors include energy, mobility, agriculture, circular economy, and water. And actually it's fun to mention a couple of them because looking at who you've just had on uh, previously, WaterSmart Software is actually a portfolio company of Elemental Accelerators. And so they're a company that we worked with early on in our program, and it's just been really fun to kind of watch them grow up and grow into their, their product offerings and into the greater market. Yeah, it's a small world, right? Um, so so what... I, I appreciate the background you just provided on Elemental Accelerator, and I think maybe if we, it'd be interesting to find out how some of those areas overlap. Uh, but but before we get into that, can you talk a little about kind of what what you're seeing come up in, you know, what what are the, some of the interesting companies and technologies that that Elemental Accelerator is is you know shepherding along the entrepreneurial path? Well, this year, um, we're just about to release our ninth cohort, and I think I mentioned this previously, but every year we fund up to 20 in this cohort-based model. And within the cohort, we have three ways that we work with a company. The first is go-to-market, and these are earlier stage engagements. It's coaching-based modules. And then we have demonstration projects, where we're actually doing a deployment project with the company somewhere in Asia Pacific or Hawaii. And then we have a third track, which is equity and access. And we work with uh, our companies and our portfolio to deploy their technology solutions in frontline communities in California. And so based on those three tracks, we look to engage with companies that are either, either specifically in one of the sector verticals that I mentioned, or as you mentioned, companies that kind of fit between many different verticals. And 
something that we we think about probably that's a bit different than other accelerator programs or, or you know even VCs out there is we think about a place-based approach. And you heard me define the different areas we work with the different places as we onboard companies. And so we're thinking about things from a community perspective when we look at the companies that we're going to fund. I can give you a couple of examples for sure, but I think maybe before I do that, it'd be best to um, explain a little bit about our pipeline and, and kind of the sheer volume that we see and then how we get to our final decisions from, yeah. from that pipeline process. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear that. Awesome. All right. Well, <laughs> it's the exciting mountain of applications that we see every year. Uh, this year, we saw about 800 applications come in across all of the different verticals, and they hailed from 64 countries around the world. So although we practice this concept of place-based work, we don't actually require companies to be any, in any one place or move or have offices in any one particular region. Um, and so by the end of our due diligence process, which we just finished, we've ultimately spent hours with several hundred companies, getting to know their customers, their teams, their references, et cetera. And so when, when I kind of stepped back and thought about how for the water sector, we were going to dig through all of these amazing applications and come up with the companies that we were going to directly work with this year, I was interested in tackling the the water industry system from three different directions. Um, and something I've been saying recently to, to my team and to others is trying to think about how we keep the wheels on the bus while flying the plane. Um, and I like that analogy for where the water sector is as a whole today and where we need to get it to and how innovation plays a key role in linking those two things together. And so the three ways that I was thinking about this going into the selection process this year was number one, how do we support the existing system? And by system, I mean, you know, infrastructure, our water infrastructure in the U.S. specifically is failing at a lot of levels. And so how do we keep things operating as they need to be to keep providing everybody and all industry with the water and the wastewater services they need? The second one is how do we extend this existing system? How do we expand the reach beyond where just the pipes and treatment facilities exist today. And the third one is how do we build a new foundation for the system of the future? And so in the analogy I, I just shared, it's sort of like the plane. How do we build the plane while still driving the bus? And that's, that's the future. And so the three that I'm really excited to share today, and I'll talk through them as they relate to that, that sort of three-pronged approach, um, the first one is NEAR. NEAR is joining our go-to-market track. And I think of them as a solution to support our existing system. And what they're doing is they're redefining our water infrastructure through machine learning. They're taking a holistic view of the whole system, water, stormwater, wastewater. And it's, it's getting to be more and more competitive out there, but I really see them serving a new customer base uh, because of their cheaper price point, and doing more with less to give operators more tools in their toolbox. The second one would be Cambrian Innovation, um, and they are one that I would consider to be extending the system. And that's because they're a decentralized solution, and they're also recovering sustainable resources from wastewater treatment. And 
they're doing that using a services-based model, which is something they call the Water Energy Purchase Agreement, uh, the WEPA model, which in a lot of ways they actually um, draw parallels to the energy sector, which is probably a bit further down the line as far as development and integration with this type of decentralized approach goes. And then the third, which would be creating that new foundation for a system of the future, is Transcend. And they are an automated design software to actually build and design water treatment facilities. Because they're coming in that preliminary design process where engineers are spending hours and hours and hours iterating, iterating, and reiterating those design documents that ultimately become what is built in, in our sort of outside world. So the, the three new ones uh, that we're adding to our portfolio of others. Okay, before before we uh, kind of get into some of the other areas, you mentioned a cohort earlier. What can you? What exactly does that term mean uh, when when you're using it uh, in in the context of the elemental accelerators programs? Yeah, I'd love to share a little bit about that because it's something that we feel really brings a new lens to the table. So I've been an entrepreneur once, and it can be a pretty lonely place. Um, because ultimately, if you're standing on this, you know, sort of mountain journey by yourself, it's, it's really a tough mountain to climb. But if you're standing beside peers that are going through similar challenges as you are, um, if you're standing beside teams that are growing at a similar pace as your own, you really become each other's support system. Something that we look to do is create that support system for our entrepreneurs. And so in a lot of circumstances, especially during quarantine and COVID, we see the companies banding together to solve whatever problem they may be facing as an organization. For example, when the PPP loans came out during COVID, all of a sudden we had an unconference of 50 companies on the line trying to figure out how exactly do you get this money? How exactly do you apply? How do you qualify for it? And everybody's working towards the same goal together, which allows everyone to be more efficient and more powerful in the work that we're doing. And so when we talk about that cohort as it stands, every year we go through our applications process. We open the applications around February. We close them uh, several months later, depending on the year. And we onboard all of our new portfolio companies every year at the same time. And so that's what we're about to do this fall. So this fall, we have 19 companies. And we believe that the number that lands somewhere between 15 and 20 is the right combination to have this peer-to-peer support, have the cross-sector learning um, really be shared kind of at a high value, very, very authentic um, self-scenario. And so throughout the year and years to come, we host events um, around the world, most often they're either in California or Hawaii, where we not only invite the cohorts to come back together, we also invite the entire portfolio to come back together. And so we have something we call CEO Summit, and that's when all of the leaders of all of the companies we've ever funded are invited to come back and it's really where people get to show up as 
people and humans and bring their personal challenges along with their professional challenges. And I like to call it kind of MBA program meets summer camp. Um, and it's really just an honest, open session for everybody to take a breath and evaluate where they are today, where they want to go, and how can they help each other get there. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's you know, and if you if you ever need someone to come and like do uh, on-site interviews or something like that on one of those Hawaii <laughs> retreats, I'm I am up for it. I'm more than happy to head out there for you. Well, <laughs> funny you should ask. Funny you should ask. Now that things are virtual these days, um, I I just think there's so much material here. Maybe we could start a a sub series of elemental portfolio companies and the work that they're doing around the world. There's lots of good stuff here we can keep talking about. Yeah, technology has certainly made things. Um, you know, it's it's we've we've gone through warp speed and how we've changed in terms of uh, doing these video conferences and 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 uh, how how we do business and things like that. So it's it's amazing how things have changed over six months. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So so Kim, how um, wh- where does the funding come? Real quick. Uh, you know, if you're investing up to a million dollars in each of these companies, that's that's not pocket change. Uh, if you're doing fifteen to twenty each year, how 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 is Elemental Accelerator funded? Great question. And as I mentioned before, we are a nonprofit, um, and so our funding comes from a variety of sources. The core of our funding comes from the Office of Naval Research, Department of Defense, as well as philanthropic partners, so large family family offices. And then we have additional funding that comes uh, from other corporate engagements that we may have from time to time throughout the year. We have something that we call a scale-up partnership program as well as a global partnership program. And strategic corporations in the industry, all of the industries we work in, uh, pay a nominal fee to participate in our program with the ultimate goal of doing demonstration projects for scale-up purposes. So we really look to match make with companies that are in our portfolio with those leaders in the field that can make a commercial difference um, for the company that they may or may not work with. And we have ongoing conversations with those companies uh, across the globe. Well, Kim, uh, can you tell us a little about, you know, the, the, the process that you use to uh, when you're looking at all these this mountain of applications that's coming in? How do you how do you judge? How do you judge them? So it's ultimately just that. It's a process and it's a conversation that evolves over several months as we get to know the companies as they progress through each round. Um, we get to know them better and better. So we start out with kind of that mountain of 800 and we ultimately get down to our top 15 or 20. It's a really awesome and fun process to learn about everything, but it can be really challenging at times because there's so many incredible companies and technologies out there. Every year, what we're looking for is is a bit different um, based on the different theses that we're looking to to provide funding for. Um, And so sometimes we ultimately track companies for several years, but we are looking to build very specific relationships across both our greater network and ecosystem and within our own portfolio and even within our own cohort. When we invite companies to apply in the beginning, we're looking for them to answer several questions um, as kind of key baseline criteria. 
And some of the things that we ask for in the start are things like, do you have a working prototype? Do you have two full-time employees? And this helps us gauge the status of the company in terms of its development path. If companies are invited to continue on in the process with us, we then look to technical fit. And what I mean by that is we look to assess the positive impact um, that a company might have across the sector verticals that we work within. And something that I should mention is that we call equity in and equity out. And this is ultimately embedded across the work that we do. As a climate tech accelerator program, we're absolutely looking for sound technology and business models that will kind of carry us into the future. But we're also truly looking at environmental and social impact opportunities with the business model at the center and equity in and out embedded throughout the process. If a company is invited to move forward from there, we're looking for project fit. I mentioned that we do project-based work in places that we have established networks. And so at this point, we're looking to see what the systems level change might be. And if we believe that in the timeline we have to work within, how this technology and this team can make their solution locally deployable as well as globally scalable. We have to believe in kind of that massive scale. And then finally, we're looking for mission fit. And this is where we look deep into the team, their leadership, their grit. We get to know everyone that's in our portfolio incredibly well. We spend a lot of hours together. Um, you know, we're, we're even coming together in um, events that we convene for years to come. And so we really want to see that they will help build the community amongst their own peers in the cohort in the portfolio. And so by the end of our several month process of due diligence, we've gotten to know hundreds of companies incredibly well. We talked to their customers, their references, and although we only ultimately fund that 15 to 20 each year, we do our best to assist with building momentum and helping them find commercial traction through introductions and matchmaking across our partners. And if one year isn't the right fit for any particular reason, we, we encourage most companies to continue the conversation with us and apply in the future. Awesome. Awesome. So is that, is, is that common amongst the accelerators you're aware of? And, or, you know, is, is how, how is elemental accelerator different from other types of accelerators? I mean, what, 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 do you have any perspective on that? I guess my perspective would be is that we take a very deep dive into the companies. Not only are we um, the ones deploying the grant of the capital into the companies, but we're also like their cheerleaders, their project managers, their policy guides. We work from a very holistic perspective, and it's because our end goal is that 10x scale of an actual project. In some circumstances, we take a board observer seat, which means we're looking to identify and work through barriers for the company to get to its next inflection point for the future, whatever that may be, however that may look. For some companies, it's perhaps addressing a policy issue that they need to overcome in order to successfully deploy their technology in a particular region. For other companies, it may look like how they can best engage with a community or educate a group of early STEM students in their community to then have deeper impact. 
And so we really um, do this kind of as a case-by-case basis. We work with a series of internal experts in addition to our team of about 30, in addition to the, the greater network extension that we have. So it's really the longevity of our relationships and our ability to really get in there and kind of help diagnose and work through the barriers that our companies may face. It's super fun for someone like me who's kind of entrepreneurial at heart yet doesn't have my own startup in this, this day and time. So we get to do it with everybody else. Yeah, yeah, highly interesting. And, and we talked a little about how COVID has affected, um, you know, being able to do things remotely. Have, would you have any perspective on how things have changed in the water sector from an entrepreneurial standpoint? Yeah, I do. And first, I can comment on what happened in the very beginning, because I think it's really quite special. COVID comes to the United States and all of our entrepreneurs are looking to each other for that peer support, like I've mentioned. And one particular company, whether it's a water vertical or not, one particular company might be a leader in solving problem X and other company is a leader in solving problem Y. And what we were able to do is bring all of those companies together to help find the leadership and guidance from within. One great example is it directly relates to a lot of water companies in, in this industry is how do you deploy hardware in a quarantine state? It can be really challenging. In our companies, and this particular company was not a water sector company, but they came and provided the guidance of exactly how they were able to do this. And ultimately, at the end of this whole kind of three, four month learning process, what the group came back and decided is, we should probably be doing this all the time. We should definitely not be sending our staff around the country, around the world to deploy our technologies. We should use this new process integrated into our business solution forever. And I think it's moments like that that really define entrepreneurs as a group. Um, Me, of course, having kind of lived through that myself, is that entrepreneurs are always pivoting always recreating, always pushing the envelope. And when it comes to how the sector can get through it as a whole, I think startups in the water sector are really able to solve a key piece because I don't see, you know, a massive corporate organization pivoting in two weeks time. That's just not a core capability of theirs. But through partnering with startups that are able to pivot and solve these urgency needs, we really kind of redefine the sector. And so I mentioned one of them, which was the ability to deploy hardware remotely. Another one that we've been talking about quite a bit um, is the sort of inevitable acceleration of the role that data plays in the sector. Because all of a sudden you do have frontline workers, key personnel that are having to figure out a way to keep our water flowing through our pipes when they're at home. Something that I think we've really recognized and brought into light more so now than probably ever previously is sharing the wins of the water sector in maybe the media and blog posts. Because at the heart of this sector, there's some really good people. There's people that ultimately want to be and are public servants. And they're putting themselves, their families, their lives at risk to keep the water flowing, to keep our taps on 
to keep our, you know, water flowing from our showers, et cetera. And so it's sharing those stories about the people that are on the front lines. And I've seen more and more of that, both on the startup side and also kind of on the municipality side over the past couple of months. The storytelling is a big key. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you expand on the storytelling um, um, angle? I mean, how, how, what, what is, I'd love to just get your, pick your brain on, on storytelling and how it can be uh, used better in the water sector. when I was playing a, a senior product manager role and I was spending my time doing seminars around the country with water operators and showing them a picture of how their face may end up on the nightly news if their water is out of compliance and they've got bacteria in the drinking water. I just read an article um, that they've got um, the brain-eating amoeba in Texas. It's things like that that we typically see in the media, right? We need to flip that. The water sector is so powerful and so foundational for all humans and industrial industrial processes that run. We need to start sharing the success stories. And so from the perspective of a startup, perhaps it's, perhaps it's the success story of how they may be able to create jobs in a particular region through an employee education program. Or perhaps it's the story of how through something we call a square partnership is able to incorporate the voice of the community, the needs of the community embedded into the direction of the program and valued based on, you know, the value it should be assigned from the start as opposed to kind of pushed towards them um, after the, the project is implemented. So the things like that where we start to realize that there are real people behind every single one of these deployments. There are real people behind every single valve or pipe um, that is required to get water to our houses. And those things have often been forgotten previously or ignored because nobody wanted to end up on the nightly news because their water quality wasn't, you know, up to par. Um, and it's so, it, so the thinking is how do we then change the history of the past? How do we flip the script and share those, those positive success stories? Yeah, I, I I really I really like that message. Um, it it kind of reminds me of um, uh, something Manny Teodoro uh, has indicated in the past. He, he kind of says, you know, we we gotta we gotta shift the, from this is from the the political side, right? We gotta shift it from a um, you know a, a blame uh, paradigm to a credit taking paradigm. You gotta you gotta make doing those infrastructure projects, a, an opportunity to take credit for something rather than a blame avoidance problem. Um, and so I, I, I completely agree with that. I think that's a great message. Um, so in terms of the broader trends you're seeing just in, in the water sector, where do you see, you know, cause you're, you're seeing, as you referenced earlier, this mountain of applications. So you're seeing all kinds of different technologies and companies coming along. Where do you, can you discern any trends that you've seen in, in all those uh, companies and technologies you're seeing, you know, across your desk? Absolutely. The first trend is the decentralization of whatever it may be. Decentralization of the things, of all the things. Um, some of this, is treatment itself. So Cambrian is an example of that. Um, another portfolio company formerly known as Zero Mass Water, now rebranded as Source Global, 
would be seen as a decentralization opportunity to provide drinking water to those who may not actually have the end of pipe solution that comes to their house. And so how do we get the same amount of resources to those that are not directly grid tied or where grid tying a solution just may not make logical business sense? So decentralization um, is definitely one of them. Another big trend that we've been seeing this year and, and for several years prior, I'd say, is the services-based approach. And what that does is move the needle from, you know, if you're a municipality, integrating a solution into your capital purchasing budget versus your operations budget. And a lot of times that distinction is key for allowing these newer technologies to gain momentum and earn success in this field because all of a sudden you're not talking about a one to you know hundred million dollar commitment you're maybe talking about a several thousand dollar commitment on a monthly basis and a lot of the ownership and a lot of the risk which is what we ultimately end up talking about every single time is who owns that risk who accounts for the risk it shifts that and so I think through those two things, through the decentralization approach and through the services-based model, that's helping define what we're going to be seeing as a future. And it correlates directly to the strategic direction of some of the large corporate players uh, in the industry as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fascinating perspective. Um, you know, Kim, you've been great. I, I would love to talk to you for hours upon end on this stuff, but uh, we are coming, uh, you know, coming up on time. Uh so do you have a leave behind message that, that you might be able to share with uh, the listeners and so that you can kind of distill everything you've been talking about down into a, a couple of minutes? Absolutely. Everything that we do, all of the different perspectives and angles we take on our work with the place-based approach, with the project-based work, with the community participation, all of this is in service to uplift people and the planet. And I like to add, while doing that, have a little bit of fun along the way, too. Um, and so something that I can leave you all with is uh, a way to participate with us. Number one, send referrals. I'm sure you either have a startup or you know someone that has a startup that's looking to really make commercial uh, steps in the future. Send them, send them our way. We'd love to talk with them. Uh, we have an extensive internship program, both at our organization at Elemental as well as interns that are placed within our portfolio companies themselves. And then finally, commercial engagement. Companies are only as good or, and only as successful as the support network that they're able to weave together. So um, if you're, you know, an end use customer or able to make an introduction or, or support them in any way, please reach out. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, Kim, for those who want to find out more about you and more about Elemental Accelerator, where can they go to get that information? We are on all of the platforms, all of, <laughs> all of the uh, virtual social convenings these days. Uh, a good place to start would be our website, which is elementalaccelerator.com. And it's actually accelerator, accelerator with an E, elementalaccelerator.com. A little bit of a tongue twister. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Elemental Excel, again with an E. And keep a heads up um, for our up-and-coming announcement. I gave you guys a little bit of a sneak peek here about the water companies, but we are announcing our next cohort um, in the next the next days in the future here. 
Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you again. You've been terrific. I loved hearing about your work and I appreciate all you're doing for the water sector. So thank you so much. And thank you for giving everyone a platform to share it out. Oh, you bet. Thanks, Kim. We'll talk to you soon. Well, terrific interview by Kim. Just great insights on innovation and the trends she's seeing in the water sector. And we're lucky to have people like Kim working so hard on fostering innovation in the water sector and like Elemental Accelerator uh, and all the folks over there for fostering that innovation across all of Elemental Accelerator's climate verticals. So thank you so much, guys. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet at me uh, using the hashtag water values. You can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter at the podcast landing page uh, on the Bluefield Research website. Again, uh, the Water Values Podcast is a separate entity from Bluefield Research, uh, but we uh, work in partnership to help support uh, water thought leadership in the industry. And so just Google the Water Values Podcast and find the Bluefield Research landing page for the podcast, and you can sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in, and a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, Ziptility, Interra, and Xylem. Great, great group of companies and organizations that we're fortunate to have sponsored the podcast. So thank you again, guys. Really appreciate your sponsorships. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.